don't think you could find anyone probably who was more fed up with his job and decided to take uh, his job and matters into his own life than Stephen Slater. He was a flight attendant for JetBlue. And though this story happened a few years ago, it still kind of makes me chuckle when I when I think about it. He was on a flight from Pittsburgh to Kennedy Airport in New York City. And it had been a rough flight and people, the passengers were not being kind. And finally, they landed. One of the uh, passengers got up in his grill and uh, he said abused him. And with that, he grabbed the intercom, had some choice things to say over the intercom to everyone on the airplane. He grabbed a beer, he pulled the slide evacuation, and he slid right down and walked right off the tarmac. It was kind of that 1970s country song. Many of you weren't even born then, but for those of us who were, there was a country song in the 1970s by Johnny Paycheck called Take This Job and Shove It. So it was kind of a theme off of that. If there was ever a year when we would want to say, man, I just want to pull the evacuation slide and get off, it would probably be this year. I mean, life has been completely unpredictable. It has been at times frustrating. Through the the years, everyone has lost something. We've all experienced some kind of loss through this year of things that we typically enjoy, that we participate in, especially those who were seniors in high school or college. These were, these were big losses. If you had a, a birthday or a wedding plan in the spring, big losses in, in your life. Nothing like, man, just pulling the evacuation slide and saying, I am getting off of this year. But, we find with the challenges and the darkness and frustration around us may just be the time when we are sensitive in our hearts and open for God to show himself to us in a new and a fresh way in which we have never seen before. We need to be reminded that though life in itself can be chaotic and not do we own, not have, have we've not only been reminded over these last few weeks that life is fragile but that our way of life is fragile and that everything around us can change but there's one thing that remains constant our lord is on the throne take your bibles this morning and turn me to isaiah chapter 6 isaiah chapter 6 and we're going us to think about this truth of the Lord being on the throne. No matter how chaotic or how desperate you feel today, no matter your level of frustration or discouragement today, no matter what transition you're walking through in life today, you need to get grounded and and form a firm foundation in the truth that the Lord is on the throne. Isaiah chapter 6, picking up in verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings, with Two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. And with that, let's pray. God, I ask that you would speak to us today. Lord, that you would just remind us through the uncertainty that we have a certain truth. You're on the throne in your name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 6 opens with those words, in the year King Uzziah died. King Uzziah reigned for 52 years uh, in Judah, the southern tribes of, of Israel. He became king at age 16, and over a 52-year span, life was very stable. The economy was growing, business was developing, agriculture was booming, and life as we know it in, in all of the measures and metrics of what we would look at as a successful uh, society were all in place. During those early years, Uzziah had been a good king and had led the people away from idolatry and immorality and back to God. And about 40 years into his 52-year reign, though, Uzziah in Second Chronicles tells us that he got puffed up and filled with pride. He became strong and was successful. And because of that, he became proud and thought, you know what, I can go into the temple and make my own sacrifices now. So he goes off into the temple one day to make his own sacrifice. And the priests come in after him and say, no, you shouldn't do that. He lifts up a censer like he's going to strike him with it. And the Lord struck him with leprosy. See, he had experienced all this success, and instead of keeping his heart right to the Lord, it finally ended up going to his head. And so the last 10 years of of his reign, 8 to 10 years, he had to reign as a co-regent with his son, Jotham. Now, Jotham was very different than Uzziah. Jotham was not one who was into worship and into a walk with the Lord. So it is a desperate and a difficult and a challenging time as Uzziah dies. And now Israel, after at least being on the general trajectory of following God, now there's an uncertainty that comes with it. But it is in that year and at that moment and at that time that the Lord shows Isaiah himself. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and he was sitting upon a throne. Amid what's going on in your life today, can I tell you there's a Lord who is on the throne? I don't know what that does to you, but, but there are some things that it should do in your life. It should take all of the calamity that's going on around us and put that in perspective and remind us that because the Lord is on the throne, there is a sense of calm. That with all the discouraging news that we have around us, there is some encouragement and courage that we can show because the Lord is on the throne. Amid all the opportunities we have to worry about, all of the other things that are going on in life, we instead should be people who are worshiping because He is on the throne. The picture here is that in this 
opportunity uh, in Isaiah's life when there's this uncertainty. He's a young prophet. He's beginning his ministry. That the Lord is going to take this moment and despite what he faces the rest of his life, he's going to finish faithful because he saw the Lord sitting on the throne. Now, wherever you are in your walk today, maybe you're just beginning your Christian walk. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord a long time. We need to be reminded that the Lord is on the throne. We need to be reminded because all the news that we're hearing right now, most of it stinks. Most of it is bad. There aren't too many great things that are getting lead stories at five or six or ten right now. But because we know the Lord is on the throne, it shapes our view of everything going on around us. Now, as we think of this pivotal moment in Isaiah's life, it's at this moment the Lord shows himself to Isaiah. Isaiah goes into the temple and there he sees the Lord high and lifted up. So let me give you a couple thoughts that go with that, that directly apply to us. As we think about him going into the temple and seeing the Lord in in, in verse number one, I I want you to, to see and understand that the Lord knows where I am. The Lord knows where I am. The Lord knew what was going on in Isaiah's life. See, the Lord knows all of my insecurities. It is the year that King Uzziah died. He knows the insecurities that, that I feel. The insecurities for Isaiah and their people in that day would have been politically, what's going to happen? Is, is, uh, is Jotham going to be like Uzziah? Is he going to be different? Is he going to lead people astray? What about economically? Is the economy going to do well? What about the money I've saved? What about my farm? What about the business I'm, I'm in? What about my job? Am I going to be able to keep my job as we transition to a new leader? There's this political and economic insecurity of this day that, that the people are feeling. The king has died. What do we do? The insecurity that comes. For us in our day, there is a sense of political insecurity. This is an election year, and let me tell you, I, I don't think that we have, have experienced a far deeper divide in our nation, in, in my reading of U.S. history, since the Civil War. I mean, there is this political uh, polarization and, and disparity toward each other. And, and we live in days of political uncertainty. We live in days of economic uncertainty. I mean, if you had your stocks and you've watched them over the last few weeks or months and you've seen down, 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 now they're starting to bump a little bit back up. But just about that day, you get confident again and think, man, we're on the right way. Then boom, boom, boom. The next thing you know, I don't think anyone has recovered to where they were before March hit. Economic. But then for many people in our world today, there's that insecurity of just their physical life. Obviously, I mean, there are people that are afraid to get out, and, and some are, are well-meaning, and some are vulnerable, but, but not only just what's going on around us now. I mean, there's, there's fear of, of and the anxiety of, what if I get cancer? Did, did you know cancer strikes the just and the unjust? What if I lose my job? What if I lose my financial security? Believers lose their job and unbelievers lose their job. 
Being a Christian doesn't, doesn't mean that you don't get cancer and being a Christian doesn't mean that you don't lose your job and being a Christian doesn't mean that, that you don't have relational struggles and there's, there's family disharmony and all these other things that can go on. There's these insecurities, but at the moment of insecurity in Isaiah's life, the Lord shows up and he says, I'm on the throne. But there's not only the insecurities I feel, but then there's the headwinds I face. I don't know about you, but I used to run, now I mainly walk. But when you're walking and the wind is blowing in your face and you're pressing against the head, uh, the headwind, it feels a lot different than when you got the wind at your back. If you've been on an airplane, man, the wind, you're moving in the right direction and the wind is, 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 is going with you, then man, you can get to your destination a whole lot quicker. But there's a lot more resistance when you're going against the wind. And now in Isaiah's life, look with me in Isaiah chapter 5 and let's think about the headwinds that Isaiah and those who truly want to follow God are going against. There are woe statements. Woe as in W-O-E. As in danger, watch out, beware, take note of this. Statements that Isaiah has in Isaiah chapter 5 that I think stand out to us that show us the culture and where the culture was moving at this time. If you mark it in your Bible, I'd encourage you just to kind of put a little underline by these woe statements. Notice verse number 8, woe to those who join house to house and they add field to field till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. Here he's talking about and confronting the sin of materialism. There are those that are wealthy that are, that are buying up plots of property and they're building large homes so that the middle and lower classes of people weren't able to have a small plot of land to have a farm on to, to sustain their family. He's saying that they're going and buying large parcels of land, uncaring and unbecoming of what anyone else needs around them. Their idea is we want, we want, and their God is materialism. They have turned from God, and now Isaiah is beginning to preach the message of God, and there's this wave of the culture of materialism that is roaring against them. But not only is there materialism, but notice with me down in verse number 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night, till wine inflames them. The harp and the strings, the tambourine and the flutes, and the wine are in their feast. Here he's confronting the headwind of drunkenness in this day of those who are partakers of, of alcohol and they're going off in these parties. And then notice what it says in the middle of verse number 12, right where I stopped. But they do not regard the work of the Lord, nor consider the operation of his hands. They're more interested in bowing to the bottle than they are in bending their knee to God. And may I just say, personally, from family experiences growing up and watching, not in my own personal family, but in hiding friends in our basement when their dad got drunk, I learned at an early age that I just hated alcohol. My best friend, or one of my best friends in high school, his dad was killed his senior year before graduation by a drunk driver. I had another friend that uh, he was a year ahead of me in class, killed by a drunk driver. Those, those things began to shape me. And did you know today, in the United States, one out of every eight Americans has some kind of alcohol disorder? One out of eight. I have four kids. My brother Chris has four kids. They'll never see me drink. You know why? In part, because of this. If they watch me, there's a good chance one of those, my four kids, 
My four nieces and nephews, one of them might just be that one who would pick it up and couldn't stop. I just think that's just not the best for me. It's interesting, Proverbs chapter 31. We always think of the, the, the Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman. Did you know in Proverbs 31 and verse number 4, Lemuel, who he's, his, his mother is writing to him and writes about the virtuous woman, says, hey, don't drink. It might cause you to break the law or it might cause you to act unjustly. Now, I, I look at my life and I think, man, I just don't want anything that will control me. This is what was going on. Now, their problem was just just errant drunkenness. They would wake up and all they would think about is getting drunk. They would turn on their music and they cons- did not consider God at all. They were just interested in, in the bottle. Now, notice with me the, the next one down in verse number 18. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as if it was a cart rope. They say, let him make speed and haste his work that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we may know it. Here's the picture. That just like those in that day would would have a rope and they would drag their cart with all of its goods to the market. Here, he says, these folks have a rope of deceit and they're carrying their cart of sin. And what they're doing is their cart of sin has become like a parade that parades itself in front of everyone else and says, God's not going to do anything about it. That's what the gist is. He's saying, these folks, these folks, they'll just, they'll parade their sin around and they will be proud of it. There's this blatant sinfulness that's going on in this culture. Notice with me the next in verse number 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for for bitter. Notice with me this, this picture of deception. They call good evil and evil good. They call sweet bitter and bitter sweet. There's this deceptiveness that's going on. Notice with me then in verse number 21. Woe. To those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. They're, they're proud. Hey, we've got all the answers. Look at me, man. I, I can handle life on my own. Don't need God. I can do what I want. I can handle my own life. I'll put and pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm proud enough to handle life on my own. Then notice the next woe with me down in, in verse number 22. Woe to men mighty at drinking uh, wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. Again, deals with the alcohol issue, but then notice with me in verse number 23. Who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Here the picture is, these are corrupt leaders, that they are unjust. They treat some people differently because they can pay off with a bribe. Now here's, if if you would take Isaiah chapter 5, it's amazing to me. You can lay it right across the United States of America in 2020. I, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. You can, you can lay it out right there. From materialism to, to drunkenness, to this sense of, of evil parading itself, to, to, to pride, to, to this sense of, I, I can do it on my own, to, to injustice that's going on all around us. Here's the picture. Isaiah 5. This is 700 BC. And it sounds a lot like 2020 AD. But listen, it's against the backdrop of all of this that Isaiah sees the Lord. 
The Lord knows where I am. That's why he shows up here. Secondly, we not only see that the Lord knows where I am. He's, he's, he's in a day of insecurity politically, economically, financially. He's in a day of, of facing headwinds. But not only does the Lord uh, uh, know where he is, but the Lord knows what we need. Notice, the Lord knows what I need. Verse number one, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. The Lord knows what I need, and you know what I need? I need to see the Lord sitting on a throne. That's what I need today. I just need to be reminded that amid all the chaos, God's sitting on the throne today. Amid all the the craziness of the world, the Lord's still sitting on the throne today. I need to see him on the throne. Listen, I need to turn off the news. I need to to turn off social media. I need to take time to focus that and, and, and recognize that the Lord is on the throne. The Lord's on the throne today. The Lord's on the throne. As we think about the Lord being on the throne, that should change our life. The Lord's on the throne. Listen, Israel's king is dead. God is alive. Israel's king in the tomb. God on the throne. Our hope doesn't come in a political leader. Our hope doesn't come in a national leader. Our hope doesn't come in politics or music or entertainment. Our hope comes from the Lord. I need to see him on the throne today. Are you seeing him on the throne? Are you taking time to see him on the throne? I not only need to see him on the throne, but I also need to see his greatness I need to see his, his greatness. I, I need to be reminded of how great he is. Notice he's sitting on a throne. He's high and lifted up. The train of his robe is filling the temple and the seraphim, the angels are above him with six wings and, and, and they are there at his beckon call. I need to be reminded of how great our God is. Our God's great. Our God is able. Our God sits on the throne of the universe. And as the the train fills the temple and his throne is high and and exalted over anything that Isaiah has seen before, he's reminded, our God is great. But you know what's interesting in this passage? Is that this passage is referenced to in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, there's, there's something interesting. Jesus is coming to the end of his public ministry. Actually, these are the last words of his public ministry in John chapter 12. In John chapter 13, he's going to go off with his disciples in the upper room. And outside of a discourse with, with the two thieves that we see on the cross, this is the last time that Jesus, as far as we know and sees, speaks with someone outside of the disciples. Notice in, in John chapter 12, uh, in, in verse number uh, 30, uh, 32, Jesus said, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I'm going to draw all people to myself. And then he says in verse number 35, a little while longer, the light's with you and walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Now notice down in verse number 37, although he had done many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Then over in verse 36, he quotes Isaiah, 
Uh, verse number 38, he quotes Isaiah. Verse 39 and 40 quotes Isaiah again. But then notice in verse 41. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory. These things Isaiah said. What did Isaiah say or what did the Lord say to Isaiah? Lord, who has believed our report? In verse number 40, he blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. This is down in Isaiah chapter 6. So what we find here happening is that John references Isaiah to seeing God's glory to this moment right here. But notice in John 12, 41, it's in reference to Jesus. Who does John show us and tell us that Isaiah saw? In Isaiah 6, he saw Jesus. I've preached this passage before. I'll be honest with you. I've just glossed over that fact. But he saw the greatness of Jesus. The one who is on the throne. Listen, the one who is on the throne is the one who is in my life. And the one who is on the throne and the one who is in my life is the one who's preparing a place for me in heaven. When I see his greatness, man, I know I'm in good hands. I know that I can be secure in him today. It's not about me. It's not about being good. It's not about measuring up. It's not about meeting a status symbol. It's simply knowing that God is great and he has a hold of me. The Lord Jesus holds me. The Lord Jesus is in me through the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord Jesus is preparing a place for me. I need to see him on the throne. I need to be reminded of the greatness of Jesus. And then notice in verse number uh, three. One cried to another, the seraphim are there. They each have six wings. You know, they're covering their face, they're covering their feet. Verse number three. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I need to be challenged by his holiness. I need to be challenged by his holiness. Now listen, the angels are there. And one on one side cries out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then the other angel in tandem then begins to speak out as well. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I don't know about you. Heaven's not going to be a quiet place. We might as well get used to a little noise. Heaven's going to be a place where there's vibrant worship and vibrant singing and crying out to the glory of God. Holy, holy, holy to the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is the picture of the Lord of his mighty army. And listen to me. When we recognize that the Lord who sits on the throne is the Lord of a mighty army, that at any moment and at any time he could wipe out any army, just like we talked about a couple weeks ago, when the one angel went and wiped out the army of Sennacherib, 185,000, God is on the throne. We need to be reminded and we need to be excited. The Lord knows what I need. I need to see him on the throne. The Lord knows where I am. I'm at a difficult day. 
with cultural headwinds that are blowing against me and leading people astray and pulling people away from the things of God and I'm going against the current, but he's the Lord of mighty armies who upholds me. Thirdly, as we think about the Lord being on the throne, there's one more thing. Are you ready? Let me just remind you. The Lord knows what he's doing. (laughs) The Lord knows what he's doing. Psalm 90 in verse number two says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And there were days just like this, just like the days in which we're in of uncertainty and rampant, blatant sinfulness in 700 BC. And guess what? They have cycled through throughout all of eternity past since Genesis 3. But here's what we know. Our God's in control. You remember the story of Joseph. Joseph in Genesis 37 was the favorite son He went to go share a word with his brothers. His brothers threw him in a pit. They were going to kill him. Instead, they decided to sell him into slavery. He goes off into slavery, ends up in Egypt, ends up at a house where he's serving. A woman lies about him. He's thrown into prison. And from prison, he rises to second in command in all of Egypt. And in Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 20, as his brothers come back apologetic after so many years, after they had betrayed him and sold him into slavery, Joseph says this, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That is the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. Romans 8.28 is that God works all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Turn on the TV today, and this is what you hear. Well, the Republicans should be blah, 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 blah. And then you turn on another channel and you hear, well, the Democrats are blah, 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 blah. Every commentator that wants to put a political commentary out there thinks they know what they're doing. It's kind of like Sunday morning after college football Saturday in You get with your buddies at church and you question all the coaches' calls on Saturday. I know better than the coach. I know better. I know better than this person. I know better than that person. Here's the picture. The Lord doesn't need our help. He just wants our submission. And that's the only way to peace anyway. Some of you today... You just need to let go of some frustration and take it to the throne. The Lord's on the throne. Some of you need to take some fear and take it before the throne. The Lord's on the throne. He can handle your fear and your frustration. He can handle your anxiety. He can handle your sin. The Lord's on the throne. He knows what he's doing. We have fond memories of of our time in Georgia and one of our dear uh, older men there used to sing a country song when we would have a singing time. And the song said simply this, 
I've read the back of the book and we win. Can I tell you, the Lord knows what he's doing. We win. The king who's on the throne is the king who lives in our heart, is the king who has a place prepared for us in heaven, is the king who will ride in one day on a white horse and out of his mouth will come a sharp two-edged sword. On his thigh and on his robe, which has been dipped in blood, will be written the name. King of kings and Lord of lords. You can find peace in difficulty when you get your focus and lift it up. And the Lord's speaking to some of you because you need it today and he knows where you are and he knows what he's doing and he's saying, look, you need to lift up your eyes today to the throne. You're one of the sheep and the shepherd's going to take good care of you. You're, you're one of the citizens of his kingdom. And he's going to take good care of you. You're one of his children. And as a father, he's going to take good care of you. He will see you through. Be encouraged. The Lord is on the throne. And with that, let's pray. Lord, thank you. You are on the throne today. I I pray that you would etch it in our heart. I pray that you would scroll it on our mind. I pray that we would walk out of this place encouraged today. Because despite all of the challenges and the hurts and heartaches and the sorrows and the trials... You're on the throne. We don't always understand that. But we trust you. So Lord, through the power of your spirit and through your work, I pray that your people would experience your touch. They would lift their eyes to your awesome and wonderful King Jesus. And that we would have perfect peace. Amid the challenges, peace that passes understanding. Because we know you are on the throne. It is in your awesome and wonderful and powerful and high and exalted name we pray. Amen. Amen.